Well, good morning. Hey, um, have you ever got a song stuck in your head? I remember my brother, when he was a kid, he would wake up and start humming the first, and just go over and over and over like a broken record. I thought, I'm going to kill you, <laughs> choke you out. Uh, that's not bad necessarily, but uh, I have had something in my head that I can't get out. And uh, we started last week on it. And I'm going to ask you to indulge me to continue something I started last week. Um, and it uh, seems to me to be a, a pretty central uh, matter. And I, I'll just tell you the topic I want to deal with today is really determining what really matters. You know, determining what really matters. Um, last week we were talking in honor of Labor Day. And, uh, you know, I've always been intrigued that uh, Labor Day is a holiday. We, we celebrate labor by being off. And, uh, you know, that, that always intrigues me. And we talked a bit about labor as it's found in the Bible. Labor as it occurs, which means work. It's in ergeo, or the, just the word work or labor. And we looked at that, and we ended on a section where uh, Paul makes this statement. He says uh, to the Galatians, he says, I am once again in labor until Christ is formed in you. I, I am once again in labor. And we discussed some of that. And uh, as I left, I, as it's often do, I kind of rework my lesson and think about it. And Becky, uh, as we were talking about that, I said, Becky, I just can't get this thought out of my mind. That Christ would be formed in us. That Paul's great concern, what he labors for. And that Greek word is the same Greek word that is used for a woman who is laboring to bring a child into the world, right? That's, that's a, a, a pretty intensive a situation and, and a circumstance. And he's using this idea saying that, that I'm laboring, I'm, I'm involved, I'm engaged, I'm all in uh, based on that Christ uh, would be uh, formed in you. And so after reading that, and you can turn to Galatians 4 if you want to. We're going to look at this just again. I want, I want to spend a little more time on this. That as I thought more about this, I kept thinking uh, that this is really uh, what matters. Uh, in all of the, the matters of religious experience and training and going to church and stuff like that, uh, what really matters in all of our effort and all of our energy is that Christ uh, would be formed in us. We're gonna, I want to look at that in a little more, more detail. I, 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 when I looked at this verse, and you can look at it again, where Paul says, you know, I'm, I, I, I will uh, start at verse 16. He says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth in verse 16? That, that's a fascinating statement. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? And what he's going to tell them, the truth is, is that everything else is okay and it's, it's understood in its place. But the important matter is that Christ would be formed in us. And that sounds crazy and radical. I understand that. I want to try to unpack it. He said, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, there's a group of people here called the Judaizers who are trying to say to them this. Hey, yeah, it's important to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. It's important to believe in Jesus, but, but you also need to keep the dietary laws. It's important for you to believe in Jesus, but you also should consider a special days that you, you have to worship on, that if you don't, it's the wrong day. What, what this really is, is the theology of Jesus plus. Jesus plus. He, he, he's, it's important. He's important, but He's not enough. And Paul is working vigorously, if you will, in this matter to say... It's not Jesus and church membership. It's not Jesus and just these other matters. It's not Jesus and just trying to live a good life. It is understanding Jesus as formed 
metamorpho is the word here of, of his actually taking place in our life. And then he says this. He said, they, they eagerly seek to uh, uh, seek you, but not commend them. In other words, not for a good reason. But they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. In other words, you're going to have to do what they do, and you're going to have to play ball the way they do so you can feel like you're in. But it's a good thing to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. So I want to, I want to think about what, what really matters. Uh, have you ever heard of the Pareto Principle? That It's sometimes called uh, the Pareto Principle, or it's the 80-20 principle. You ever heard of that? Yeah. You know that uh, in, in business, uh, the, the, uh, this was a developed by a guy named Vilfredo Pareto. Wouldn't it be nice for somebody to name something after you? You know, I've often thought, I would like to be named for something. Uh, most of the people have told me of things I would not want. But uh, anyway. the, the Pareto principle is that 80% of a company's income comes from 20% of their customers. 80%. It's, it's called the 80-20. That if you are going to concentrate in your business, you ought to look at that 20% that 80% is coming from. When I worked at United Parcel Service uh, years and years ago, uh, I was a loader. Uh, they, uh, at 2.30 in the morning, we'd go to work, and uh, we were all happy and chipper and uh, most hungover. I never worked with so many people that were hungover at 2.30 in the morning. Really. And so we uh, loaded these brown trucks you call them trucks we call them package cars and we had a job my job was from 2 30 to about 6 30 about four hours or somewhere around there i had to load three of those fully i mean from bottom to top to the gills so i had three drivers that would spend eight and a half hours out in that little package car and uh, they would deliver packages in a huge route area and so there were thousands and thousands of addresses I remember uh, one time my driver showed up and it had been so many packages during the Christmas season. I had, I had put them on all the shelves, started loading them in the cab, pulled them all the way back to the roof to the top, closed the door, and the minute he opened it, it all fell out on him. <laughs> and we said, Merry Christmas. We love Christmas. It was terrible. I mean, it was terrible. How all that, all the stuff you guys buy. I don't work there anymore, yeah. <laughs> My supervisor came to me and he said, Now, Cliff, in order for you to get this job, in order for you to be able to keep this job, you've got to memorize the addresses that all these boxes go to. You've got to know when you look at it on the, this side of Main Street, even that side of that goes in the third car, top shelf, back of the driver. I had to memorize. And I thought, I'll never be able to do this. He said, well, I got, a, I got a little thing for you. And I said, like what? A helper? <laughs> he said, uh, no, I got a chart for you. And he called it my 80-20 chart. And I said, what is this? He said, Cliff, 80% of all that you load is going to come from 20% of the uh, addresses. You don't have to memorize all these. Now, there will be times when you'll get confused. You have to look at that. But 80% of all of the boxes you're going to load are uh, going to come from 20%. And he always right. He was right. I, I had a guy down there with a stopwatch on me. I, United Parcel is a wonderful place, sort of. <laughs> and they were putting a timer on me, a, a stopwatch. I had to learn to get that stuff in. Microsoft learned 
that 80% of the shutdowns of computers were caused by 20% of the viruses. This principle is fairly stable through life. 80% of the production is created by 20% of the work. By the way, if you look at this in church life, uh, in most churches in America, 80% of the work, the giving, and the serving comes from 20% of the people. Now, I don't know that that's true here. I, there, there's some unusual numbers here at this church about, about how that works. But, but in all of that thinking to say, you know, sometimes we spend our time thinking about things that maybe aren't part of that, if you will, part of life that's really going to help us. What is it that, that really matters? If I'd have tried to go home and memorize those charts, I'd still be working there. You know, I would have never. But, but in knowing, hey, here's what you need to concentrate on. And so I want to talk here, first of all, that Paul, here we go, Paul identifies what really matters. What really matters to Paul is that Christ would be formed in his followers. Christ would be formed. Now, I, I wrote this, and, I, and, I, and I'm not putting any of this stuff down. I'm just thinking about this. That Paul identifies what really matters in the Christian life. I put he, he, he is unwilling to settle for regular church attendance. He's unwilling to settle for regular acquiring of more biblical knowledge. He's unwilling to settle that you just know your sins are forgiven. He's unwilling to, for, to, to, to settle that giving money to good causes. Or he's unwilling to settle, hey, it's an enjoyable worship service. All of those things are, are fun and important. But I want to suggest to you, it's not what matters. What matters to Paul is this one idea throughout the Scriptures that Christ would be formed in you. That Christ would be formed in me. I, I, I just, this is sticking in my brain. Uh, last week, all through the week, it, and, and days before, that, that, that I would say, you know, what really, determining what really matters. Do, do you ever feel like you don't have enough time to do everything you need to do? Huh? No, I no, surely not. I, I, I'll say to my students sometimes, you know, what you've got to learn to do is determine what matters. What is it that matters? You know, if you have a paper that's due, Gilligan's Island probably doesn't matter. I don't know why I always pick on Gilligan's Island. But the, the idea of, of, of identifying, of knowing what really matters. What is it that Christ would be formed? Now let's look at this here from another angle. He identifies what really matters. What is this? What is this? The term here, morphe is the um, idea of taking shape or form that can be seen. It's the idea of morphe, we get morphology or metamorphosis uh, comes from this uh, phrase as well, where, where something takes a form, where, where we see it and we, we, we recognize it. It's the form. This is the same word in Philippians when it says Jesus took up on the form of a servant. It means he, you could see him and say, there's a servant. That's the way a servant acts. It's the, the form. But it has this additional idea, as I'm thinking this through, it, it has the additional idea that there's a form that's taking place, an appearance, a visage, that's a good biblical word, a visage uh, uh, that you can see because of something internal. Something internal. I, 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 I was putting my brain to that and, and thinking that 
that this morphea or this being formed is that there's something going on inside that brings about an outward manifestation. I have a student. His name is Butch. Um, he, he no longer he's no longer in school, but one day uh, he woke up and he noticed that there was a sort of a bump on his head, and there was something there that didn't trouble too. It's just small, but with each occurring day, it got bigger. He thought, well, maybe my wife is hitting me at night. No. <laughs> he would deserve it. <laughs> but as he began to notice this and watch this over time, they discovered that something on the inside was beginning to affect the outside. That's the idea of Morphe. That, that there's something on the inside that is affecting the outside. Now, have you, noticed, have you heard about this new movie that's coming out called uh, Inside Out? Disney? It looks hilarious. It is a, 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 a little movie that's coming out where it shows the internal, if you will, little people, the anger person, the happy person, the, the p passive person, the lazy person. See, I told you there are people who live up here. <laughs> Disney has confirmed it. The Inside Out movie uh, tells, you know, it in, a, in a fun way, how that these things are inside us or in people. They've, they've you know, anthropomorphized it or made it look like people. That when the anger, there's the guy that's angry, is pushing the buttons and the levers. That's how they have more faith that there's something in us that's now causing the form to be seen. There, there's something in us that's causing the form. When I was in a school at Mid-America, or at Gulf Coast when it was down in Houston, we had a singing group called Inside Out. And I tried out for it, and they said, we'll call you. <laughs> I didn't make it. Becky made it, but I told her, you can't leave me now. I'm in that bad shape. Inside out. Inside out. What is this? Let me, let me walk us through this here if I can. Well, I love technology. Don't you? Isn't it wonderful? I'm going to break this thing one of these days. Christ in us. Christ in us. The Apostle Paul gives a pretty clear statement. I, I would encourage you uh, that uh, if you're interested in this, to look into the, to the epistles. You know, those are the books that Paul wrote to the churches. I always tell my students, you know what the epistles are, and they go, wives of the apostles, and they start writing that down. <laughs> I'm going to put it on a test someday. I really am. Christ in us. If you look at the language of Paul throughout the New Testament, you're going to see this language show up. That Christ is in you. That Jesus Christ is in you. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to flip through some passages with me here just to take a look and we'll, we'll do our best. Go to 1 Corinthians. Go back in Galatians. Go back a couple of books. 1 Corinthians. I'm going to give you some passages. We'll look at this and, and try to work it out. But this idea of Christ in us. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that as far as I can tell, and I've studied comparative religions and other things, Christianity is the only religion that declares that their God lives in them. In them. Now, you know, maybe we've been Christians so long that Christ in us that just kind of rolls off. But listen, no 
other religion in the world declares that their God lives in them. Lives in them. Lives and they experience it. So in, 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 sorry, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul just makes this statement. He said, but by His doing, verse 30, I'm sorry, I'll give you the verse. By His doing, this is God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and in redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. How is it that I'm in Christ? It's God's work. You know, th this is not some religious uh, routine to run through. This is an understanding that by God's doing and work through Jesus Christ, I'm in Him. My life is hidden with Christ and God. Others would say that same thing. Notice when he says, this is what God has done that we might be in Christ so that our boast is in the Lord. Now that, that's an interesting word, that word boast there. It comes from the Greek word kalkamai. And it really means to have faith in, to have confidence in. I was watching the game last night. There was a point in which most of the OU fans didn't seem ready to boast. Right? It was like, what happened? And, of course, I was in my prayer closet praying. I won't tell you who for. You probably won't ask me to pray for you if you know that. I mean, they're sitting there, it's, and I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, this is, a, this is a term that means to have confidence in. Now, when they started moving the ball, and things started happening, people what? Excited. Got excited. Yeah, we're going to, because boast means my team's the best. My team can beat your team. My team has the ability that boasting is a way of saying, I have what? Faith. Confidence belief. That our faith and our confidence and our belief calcomize this idea, is in God. It's boasting. Why? Because I believe He can do it. He has done it. The idea of Paul saying that Christ is in us. That we might boast and say, you know what? I'm in Christ not because of my own abilities or my own power, but because God through Jesus Christ caused me to be born again. I boast in Him. May all of my praise and honor go to Him. Look at this other one now. Go, go back to Galatians for a minute. These are pretty familiar verses. I won't spend a lot of time on them, but you might want to look at in Galatians 2. I have a student that had this verse tattooed on his arm with a needle. <laughs> and I said, dude, I love Jesus, but come on. <laughs> I mean, I had this always. When, when, this verse, when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. And you know what the word for I in Greek is? Ego. Ego. It's ego that no longer lives. But Christ who lives in me. Is that just for apostles and for people writing the Bible? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh. Paul's not a nut. He knows he lives here on the earth. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith, confidence, boasting, calcomai, in the one who loved me, gave himself for me. Guys, this is way past religion. 
This is way past spiritual disciplines. This is way past activities. Now, nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But the thing that really matters, the thing that's going to give you the bang for the buck for me is for us to remember and to understand and to live in the reality that Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you. Now, the, the devil and others will tell you, that's not true. This is where you have to decide who you're going to have faith in. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust to say, I believe? Now, go, go for a second. I just, I've got to run you through this. John, I'm just trying to give you some passages. The Gospel of John. Remember that, remember that book? I, I need you to pray for me. I don't know what to do. I told Becky the other day, uh, we finished 12 where Jesus finishes His conversations with the crowds. And 13 forward is Jesus only with the disciples. And I said, I've either got to decide to do another series or we're going to be in John for another year and a half. She said, change. In John 14, this passage is used often at funerals. I've used it. I don't say it's wrong. But I want to suggest to you something is happening here. Out of John 13, Jesus is not talking about the disciples dying. He is talking about His own. But I want to suggest to you that this is more of a verse for a failure than a funeral. This, this is a verse for a failure. Peter has declared, I will not deny you no matter what. And Jesus said, will you lay your life down for me, 1338? I tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is not for a funeral, it's for a failure. What is the point here? My Father's house are many dwelling places. There's a Greek word here, it means abode or house or dwelling place. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go prepare a place for you. Okay. If you read through this section here, it's fascinating. Verse 23. I'm not going to read it all, but you can read about Jesus. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send you someone. Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode in him. That's the same word in verse 2. There are many dwelling places in my Father's house. It's the same exact word. Listen, dwelling with Jesus, dwelling with the Father, is not something we have to wait for. He said right there, if you love me and you keep my commandments, my Father will love you and we will come and make our abiding, our, our dwelling in you. Isn't that fascinating? That, that, that word says, oh, there are a lot of places to dwell in my Father's house and I go to prepare one for you. But listen, that's not just for the future. That's now. I will come and live in you. Wow. The notion of Christ through the Holy Spirit of dwelling and living in us to me is the high watermark, is the thing that distinguishes Christianity from other religions. Everybody else is trying to get to God or get out there or to find Him. We're saying He's here. 
living and ruling in our lives. I'm just going to give a couple of the versions. Go look because I've got I've got some heavy stuff to deal with. Colossians 1:27. Colossians 1:27, where Paul says, "Christ in you, the only hope for glory." Christ in you, the only hope for glory. What is this? It's not only Christ in us, but look at this. We are in Christ. This language that Paul uses flips. The same language of Christ in us is also the idea of that we are in Christ. Notice here, if you will, in Romans chapter 8. No, I'm jumping around. I'm going over. I, I told Becky, I said, man, this is, I'm going to do it. <laughs> She said, what is it? I said, I'm not, I can't tell you. <laughs> Notice the language, how, how it turns a bit. In Romans 8, 1 it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who what are in Christ. Okay? It's changed. Christ in us. We, us, in Christ. This idea that we not only have Christ in us, but we are in Him. We find our being, our, and this is going to be important here in just a minute. Then in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to get to some how here in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know the passage um, when he says, For the love of Christ controls us in verse 14. Therefore, verse 16, From now we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know Him no longer this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new, what? Creation. The Greek word katesis. You go study this now a little bit. Because the, the translator, translators and translations have to try to determine what this word means. But katesis is uniformly and regularly translated creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. Now, the reason I said i got something big here to deal with is Paul understands that when we're in Christ, we're in a new created order. We're in a new creation. We're part of a new way of existence. It's been inaugurated by Jesus. It's been verified by the Holy Spirit that we are now in Christ. We are now part of a new creation. You know why that's important? Because Jesus, in other places here as well, is called the last Adam. The last Adam. I want to, I want to ask you, you're, you're there uh, in, in, in Romans. Just go back to 6 here for a second. I want you to look at something that has confounded people, and I, I may confound you some more. You know, I've done that before. In chapter 6, this idea of new creation is part of Paul's understanding of what's happened to us. Christ, we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. Notice what he says. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. 
How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Notice what he says there. How shall we who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we've been buried with Him through baptism and death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might walk in newness of life. For if while we've become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His re resurrection. Here it is. Knowing this, that our old... What does it say there? Self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. This idea of new creation, that we're now part of a new order. And you know what? The currency in this order is faith. And the way that we respond and live is by faith. Now let me make a couple of observations here and try to unpack this. When it says we've died to sin. Death in the Bible never means cease to exist. Never. Uh, if you've drawn a conscious breath, and as I have, uh, you're going to live forever somewhere. Death never means to cease to exist. Uh, remember I told you in Luke 15 when the prodigal son comes back, his dad says, this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. In the book of Revelation, hell is called the second death. Death means separation from that life. Death means the boy was separated from his dad. In hell, people be separated from the presence of God. Death is separation. No relationship. No more relationship. Paul is making a powerful statement here by saying, you have, you have died in this sense of, the, of a relation. This relationship of sin will not bring you life. You, you ever notice that? That now as a follower of Jesus, when, if you sin and when you do, does it bring life? No. It doesn't bring life. It brings guilt and sorrow and death. That Paul is saying here that you have died to this. How's that? Notice what he said. Down this one, at, you don't have to read verse 6. Our old self. I'm going to suggest again there's a, there's a, a translational issue here that you, don't, you, you ought to consider. Paul is saying this, that our old self was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That word there, in the original language, and again, all, all Bibles are translations, okay? Even what I'm doing, I'm translating. But all Bibles are translations. When it says the old self... That Greek word there is man. Singular. The old man died. Who's that? You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, we, we get saved, you know. We, we just, you know, a guy comes to the altar, gal, prays the prayer, and, and uh, you know, they say, well, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. And you catch them uh, doing something wrong the next day. Well, you must not be saved. Didn't that work quite great? <laughs> right? That's a kind of, well, you know, you're a new creature. So if you're not living that new stuff out, must be wrong. 
Or we go the other side, well, you know, you're sort of a new creature, but not really a new creature. And you know what? We all blow it and we all mess up. That doesn't work very well either. I want to suggest to you something. Paul's got something big here in mind, and that's this. That the old man that died is life in Adam. Life in Adam. Don't believe me? Go read chapter 5. It precedes chapter 6. That through one man, death entered the world. And death spread to all men. Because all said, through one man, life entered through the gift of righteousness. Paul is making this statement. That old man, that old creation is dead. Can you live in it? Sure. What is it though? Separated from the life of God. It's a life that's separated from the life of God. It, it, it's like you're, you're dead to it. Uh, Pam uh, Barton, uh, who I'm embarrassing to death right now, uh, told me this the other day when I was thinking about that, that when we talk about this death separated from it, it's like, you know, a, a cat is dead to algebra. <laughs> right? It's dead to algebra. I dare you to try to teach it, <laughs> you know, right? It could get perfect. <laughs> there you go. Dead means separated as a source of life. Paul is saying this, and this is radical, and this is part of his understanding of salvation history. That old way of life is dead. The second Adam, the last Adam has now come. And that's where you find life. You can hang around here if you want to, but you will be living and I will be living in death. Can I get an amen on that? Does, that? does that sound right to you? This is bigger than my old self. I quit smoking, I quit drinking, I quit dancing, I quit chewing and going with the girls who do, right? I always tried to find those girls when I was in high school. <laughs> See, we try, you're, you're trying to personalize this. You're trying to make this about you. This isn't about you. This is about the second Adam that came to say, I've come that you might have what? Life. Because you don't have it. In Adam, you don't have it. You got conniving. You got intellect. You got all the, uh, uh, pull all the levers you want to. It's no longer to live in human power, human ability, human understanding, human conniving, human intellect, human power, human effort. It is to say, I live in the new creation where Jesus is the last Adam. Go look at this in 1 Corinthians 15. The new creation is life. In the new Adam, the old man is dead. I have to tell you, in my head, what I keep hearing when I hear this verse, ding dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> that tell you how deep I am. That's what I hear. Dead. Dead. You're not, it doesn't mean that you can't monkey around in that area. And Paul will tell later, put it off, man. Put off the old man. Why? Because he's dead. I've tried to get the, the rights to uh, 
a movie. I've never seen it, just heard about it. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's. <clears throat> I tried to find a clip, and there is not one that can be shown in church. <laughs> there isn't. Something happens, shows up. And, of course, none of you have ever seen it, I know, by your laughter, So, because you're good Christian people. <laughs> Premise is this. These two yardbirds have this friend named Bernie. He's got this wonderful house out by the lake or the water. He dies. They know he's their ticket. So they spend the entire weekend dragging this dead corpse around to make him look alive. It's hilarious in some places. And the first time I saw it, I thought, I lived my Christian life for many years like that. I thought it was, Cliff, if you'll try harder in Adam. Cliff, if you'll discipline yourself more in Adam. If you'll clean Adam up a little bit. If you'll make him look a little more presentable. He's dead. He's not sick. He doesn't have a knee problem. Anytime you and I move into the old creation where Adam rules, we experience death. And the new Adam stands there to say, be in me. I mean, those are crazy statements. We've died to sin. We'll no longer be slaves to... We can walk in newness of life. How's that? Try harder. No. It's through union with Adam. We've been baptized into His death. We've been raised to the resurrection. We walk in light with Him. The old man is dead. We need to hear that. Because we're tempted to think we can make this work in our own energy, in our own strength, in our own effort. And I've told you before, the Christian life's not difficult. It's impossible. Jesus said, without me, you can only do a couple things. Know what he say? Nothing. This is the new Adam, guys. The second Adam has come. He's come to bring power and light and strength to our life. Now, how does it happen? I'm going to finish with this. How does this occur? <clears throat> how does this occur? Last week, I'm going to give you the... I'm going to give you the first, first one. I, I don't think I put this on the outline. Number one, here's the first step. Here's a word we don't use much anymore. We talk about believe. We talk about trust. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Here's the word. Surrender. You know, I was going to text Marty last week because I wanted to say to him, Marty, you're brave to talk about surrender last week. You can't make this better. Adam does not have the power to do this. You can keep trying till Jesus comes back. But you and I don't have the power. It is surrender. Give up. Lay it down. I've, I've always been interested in this uh, idea I, I, it sounds like uh, 
uh, kind of the theme of American culture. What is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and the word and, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows. You know that line. But you did it what? My way. Frank Sinatra made that song so famous. Hey, the record will show. I took the blows, but I did it my way. I think of the poem by William Ernest Henley, by Invictus. Beyond the place of wrath and tears looms both the horror of the shade and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishments within the scroll. I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's Adam. I'm told that when Timothy McVeigh was put into federal prison, after he'd been convicted and knew he was going to die, he quoted this poem. Whatever the blows, I'm the master of my own fate. I also read after that that the night before he was executed, he called for a priest. He called for a priest. Adam is going to run out somewhere. And that notion of understanding, of surrender. Listen, we don't talk about this enough. We only talk about it in 12-step things. Well, you know, if you've got this kind of problem or that kind of... Listen, this is the first step in Christ Jesus being and living in us. Not believing in Him, not, not, not having... Con it's surrender. Lay it down. Give it up. Put it down. Second is this. Oh, no. Second one is faith. You expect me to say that. But see, Paul is saying that Christ will be formed in you. In Galatians 4, the problem is, he, he's saying, these other people are trying to get you to put your faith in Jesus and something else. See, Because you can do that. See, you're, you're not surrendering. You say, it's, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. I am trusting. If he said, stand on my head and bark like a dog, that's what I'm going to do. I surrender. I give up. The, the war's over. And I love this statement. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, who... Who, who, who talked about faith a lot to say that this understanding this happens as I surrender and then I trust. Here's an image I want to give you. Francis Schaeffer said, faith is this, me lifting my empty hands to God. That's what faith is. I'm lifting my empty hands to God. I'm here to embrace my inadequacy. I'm here to accept that what He has for me is what I need so that I would put my faith in Him and trust in Him. And we use that word so much. But listen, if you trust someone, or I trust someone, we look to them for guidance. We've surrendered to them and said, I will follow you. I'll, whatever you say. Haven't you found sometimes that, that faith requires you to surrender again? To say, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't want to do this. <laughs> right? I want to kind of drift back here to Adam. And my faith says what? Trust Him. I know it doesn't make sense to you, Cliff. I know it doesn't seem right. But faith finally says, but I trust Him. I know I can trust Him. That matter of surrender. And then finally, I'll give you this last third one. How does it work? One is surrender. Two is by our faith in Jesus. And number three, 
It's a whole different thing. We may have to deal with this later. Strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 17. You go look at that later. Strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that through the power of the Spirit, Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So what is, what is, what is the thing? What is the most important? What is the matter that, that we ought to be talking about, thinking about, praying about, discussing as followers of Jesus? That Christ would be formed in us. I, I don't think that means that you're going to never have problems and never going to mean you're never going to have difficulties but you're going to know where the source of your life is. I, I want to help cut the cord here on Adam. I want you to understand, that guy's dead. And the Bible says this over and again. He's the first Adam, and the second Adam is the one who is the life-giving spirit. He comes to bring this kind of life. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean we have problems. But it means we know the source of our strength. I'm going to finish with this statement here. I want you to remember a song. You can write this down if you want to. We sing this in chapel sometimes at the university. And hear the words. Oh Christ, be the center of my life. Be the place I fix my eyes. Oh Christ, be the center of my life. Have you heard that one? Oh Christ, be the center of my life. Be the place I fix my eyes. Be the center of my life. Guys, I'm saying this isn't trying harder. This isn't more discipline. This is understanding that by faith and surrender through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. Quit listening to the lie of religion. One of my buddies, Bruxy Cavie, says it this way. Religion is what will let you down every time. Every time. Christ is the center of our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I feel so inadequate to even talk about this. Because it's more than talk. It's more than words. It's life. So would you cause us, recalibrate us, bring us back to a certainty and understanding of what matters today. We're glad we're in church. We're glad we're in Sunday school. We're glad we're going to go to other church. We're going to sing. We're going to give. But what matters the most is that in everything we participate in, that you, Jesus Christ, would be formed in us. That what's on the inside of us, you, begins to manifest himself on the outside. We can't do this. Only you can. Give us the good sense to quit trusting in the old man, Adam. Give us the knowledge of you to quit trusting in our abilities and radically and completely surrender to the new Adam the new one who brings life. We pray this in your strong name, Jesus. Amen.